Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, and a very good afternoon to you. It's 11 minutes past two on this beautiful Wednesday afternoon here in Joburg. Wonderful to be with you, and welcome to another exciting 45 minutes to an hour of Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Pleasure to be your host and to be chatting with you this afternoon about things that matter from a Jewish point of view, about the upcoming week, about the period of time that we're in, and more specifically about these special days. And in fact, today is a very special day. Today is the beginning of a month. It is called Rosh Chodesh. Now, we do know that Rosh Chodesh occurs at the beginning of every month. And each one of the beginnings of every month are unique. And sometimes it is two days and sometimes it is one day. When it's two days, the first day of Rosh Chodesh is, as we've mentioned before, the 30th day of the preceding month. And then the second day of Rosh Chodesh is the first day of the coming month. When we have a Rosh Chodesh one day, like we have today, today being Rosh Chodesh, it is always the first of the month. And that means that the preceding month only had 29 days. So the month of Tammuz only had 29 days. Today, kind of a combination day of the end of the month of Tammuz, if you wish, and really launching headlong into the beginning of the month of Av, or as it is more poignantly known as Menachem Av. It is not just Av, but it's Menachem Av. It's about comfort. It's about bringing comfort for the Sad tragedies, the difficulties that the month of Av actually usher in, and most particularly Tisha B'Av, which is in nine days' time, where we commemorate the destruction of both our holy temples in Yerushalayim, those few hundred years apart, but nevertheless on exactly the same day. So as we launch headlong into this month, and as we stand today on Rosh Chodesh, There is so much at play and so much to talk about and think about with, number one, these upcoming nine days, with, number two, the upcoming month of Av, and most importantly, the day itself. What is Rosh Chodesh Menachem Av, this day, actually best known for? Well, it's not often that you have, in a week, that the Shabbat before, the Parsha that we read on the Shabbat before a particular week, actually mentions a date that is going to occur in this week. Nor is it common that when somebody passes away in the Torah, that the actual date of their passing is specifically mentioned. But both of those things are one and the same, because in this week's, last week's Shabbat Parsha, we mentioned the passing of Aaron HaKohen, Aaron, the high priest. He passes away. In the 40th year of our sojourn in the desert, he is taken up the mountain, um, Hor Hahar, and his garments are exchanged um, to uh, be given and handed over to his son. And as that is done, so the mantle of the kuhuna of the high priesthood is passed over to his son. And Aaron Akohen is taken up the mountain and he passes away there. And the date is mentioned. It was the first day of the fifth month in the Jewish calendar. Now, if we take our months and we count them, we count months from Nisan. So we've got Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, Tammuz. And the beginning of the fifth month then would be Rosh Chodesh, 
Menachem Av, Rosh Chodesh Av, that is today. Today is the anniversary, if we go all the way back to the year of our uh, completion of our sojourn in the desert, what was happening today was that passing of Aaron HaKohen. Now it tells us too that the entire Jewish people, everybody, mourned for Aaron HaKohen. Everybody mourned for him. But the mourning was led, the Talmud tells us, by a large contingent of Jewish boys who were named for Aaron. They were named Aaron, after or for Aaron HaKohen. They were the leaders of this mourning procession, of this time of mourning. They were called after his name. Now, why were they called after his name? Well, we're told that Aaron was the most incredible peacemaker. And not only did he make peace between warring factions or between people who had financial or familial arguments, but he made peace between husbands and wives. And once he had made that peace between husbands and wives, it became the tradition that these uh, parties, these uh, marriages, these people who had come to him for that marriage guidance, that marriage counseling, helping to stick their marriages back together again, named their sons who were born thereafter, Aaron. They were named after the peacemaker. And so Aaron Akoyan lived on through these, and they say there were 80,000 of them, 80,000 boys called after Aaron Akoyan. Well, it speaks about the fact that there must have been lots of marriage problems, but certainly because Aaron Akoyan made peace. He was that peacemaker. He loved everybody. And that was the reason why we're told that so many people, every single man, woman, and child actually mourned for Aaron for 30 days after his passing. The reason was because he was this person who loved everybody. He had the most incredible, um, compassionate, uh, kind, sensitive love for each and every individual. And that was why he actually was able to be that incredible peacemaker. He knew that, and they knew, that all he was doing was out of love. He never said anything that could have been interpreted as anything else. He never did anything that could have been interpreted as anything else but love for all the parties, for everybody, in the most incredible fashion. And he became known as this renowned peacemaker, so much so that the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot tells us, that we should be like the students, the Talmidim of Aaron Akain. Oyev Sholem, Veredev Sholem, he was a lover of peace and he was a pursuer of peace. He would go out of his way to make peace, even if it meant compromising on himself and on uh, what he wanted to do and what he needed to do. He was this most incredible peacemaker. Why? Because he loved everybody and he wanted to see harmony and he wanted to see peace and he wanted to see togetherness and he wanted to see marriages that work and he wanted to see families that were harmonious. And this was the man whose passing today, all those thousands of years ago, conjures up within us the very reason why their children were named after Aaron, which was they wanted to pay homage to and to continue the legacy that he left and that he taught, to teach love, to teach peace. And what a beautiful way it is to actually start these nine days of sadness, where we know that nine days of sadness, of mourning, of these nine days leading up to Tisha B'Av, were fraught with, and the reason for, 
those struggles and those difficulties and the destruction of the second temple was because of a lack of Ahavas Yisrael, because of a lack of love, of uh, friendship, of warmth between people. Aaron HaKohen comes as the antidote, as the preventative mechanism that is placed right at the beginning of these nine days, which says, be like Aaron, make peace, pursue peace, have love for each other. Rekindle the compassion, the kindness, and the friendship that we're supposed to have. And in that way, undoubtedly, we'll ensure that never again will there be such a destruction and that, please God, Mashiach will come and our temple will be rebuilt in Yerushalayim. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Now, the second thing to know about these nine days and the advent of Rosh Chodesh Av, Menachem Av, as it is today, is that it is specifically mentioned in the Talmud that this is a day on which the attitude, the atmosphere in our lives needs to change. What does it say? It says, Mishenichnas Av, Mema'atim Basimcha. And we usually interpret that to mean that when the month of Av comes in, we need to diminish in our joy. Well, it tells us something about the perspective of simcha, of joy that we have to have at all times, and that is that there has to be joy. In other words, if we're using joy as the mechanism here, we've got to remember that we are told to diminish in our joy. It means that joy is the balance. Joy is the average line. We now have to go slightly, let's call it below the line, a little bit under the line. We've got to um, diminish, but joy has to be the feature. We've still got to fulfill the obligation of Ivdu et Hashem Basimcha. There's still got to be the, the attitude of serving Hashem with joy, which overrides everything. And if we think about it, this is even the way that it is phrased. When the month of Av comes in, we diminish in joy. It doesn't say we have to be sad. It doesn't have to say we have to mourn. It doesn't say we must sit down and cry. It says we have to diminish in joy. Now, there are many who s- interpret this slightly differently, and they say, when the month of Av comes in, we diminish, but even that has to be done, that has to be done with joy. Whichever way you look at it, simcha, joy, happiness, positive attitude, has to be the name of the game. That has to be there through thick and thin, throughout our lives all the time. There's got to be a positive attitude. And even when we're looking down the barrel of the nine days and we're looking at the destruction of two Bate Migdash, of two temples, a Jew can never give up. And we can never say die. And we can never say we're out of here and there is nothing else to live for and there's nothing to look forward to. No, on the contrary. We've always got to be able to see the light, and we've got to be able to see the wondrousness of the future, and we've got to be able to believe just a little bit more in the fact that Mashiach will come, that there will be that bright and happy and positive result from our attitude of simcha, of joy, of positivity that we have throughout our lives. And so when the month of Av comes in, we need to diminish, and we diminish in joy, whichever way you interpret it. But... (laughs) Practically speaking, what does it mean? It says that when the month of Av comes in, we actually take away from ourselves some of the external factors that would otherwise create joy. It doesn't mean that we're changing something in our souls. It doesn't mean that we're necessarily changing something in our heart of hearts. But it does mean that we diminish. 
How do we do that? Well, one of the things that is best known is we refrain from eating meat or drinking wine. The two mainstays of simcha, the two mainstays of joy are meat and wine. And unless there is a particular simcha event such as a bris, such as a, uh, an, in, an engagement, well, we would probably refrain from an engagement party even during this time as well. But let's say a bris miller, a circumcision is taking place and it takes place uh, during these nine days. One would then uh, be limited in what one could serve, meat and wine. However, still a minion, a uh, minion of people, and certainly the main balei simcha, the main people who are involved in the simcha, would be permitted to eat meat and to drink wine even then. However, we're talking about a period of time where simcha things, meat and wine, the mainstays of simcha, you have a wedding, you serve meat, and you uh, toast it over wine, and we have um, the wine under the chuppah and so on. All of those things of simcha, we slightly diminish. There is another reason, of course, and that is that meat and wine was kind of the recipe, the formula of our sacrifices in the Beit HaMikdash, in the temple. There was meat involved, there was wine involved, wine libation and so on, and therefore meat and wine were the... Main ingredients of temple sacrifices or temple offerings, the korbanot that we brought, and therefore, how can we actually be um, partaking of meat and wine during this period of time? We're thinking about the Beit HaMikdash. We're thinking about the things that we've lost. It's kind of, <clears throat> what would they call it, disingenuous if we were to sit down to a meat and wine meal and say at the same time that we're thinking about the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. We're thinking about the loss all those years ago um, and the capture of Yerushalayim. We're thinking about all these terrible and heinous and horrible things that happened to our people during that time. Um, it doesn't seem to make sense to be eating meat and drinking wine, and therefore we refrain from it. Of course, that's with the exception of Shabbat. On Shabbos, this coming Shabbos, we do eat meat, and we do drink wine. We make kiddush just like we ordinarily would. And in fact, there are many who say that we should be careful not to refrain on the Shabbos from those things, so that we're not making a declaration in any way that mourning overrides Shabbos, because that certainly is not allowed. And so... Meat and wine, two things that we refrain from having during this period of time from now until the day after Tisha B'Av, until the 10th of Av. In addition to that, we know that it is a period of time when we refrain from wearing freshly laundered clothing. Um, it's a little bit difficult um, Perhaps a little bit easier if you think about it in our part of the world where it's not so hot, where it wouldn't make all that much of a difference, but um, still freshly laundered clothing uh, becomes problematic at this time and uh, one should consult with one's own rabbi. But generally the rules are that if you're putting on a, a garment, one should would have had to have tried it on before the nine days or Perhaps some say, you know, make sure that it's not freshly laundered by dropping it on the floor or doing something of that nature. It might seem to be, um, let's call it perhaps a little bit uh, nitpicking and perhaps even childish in a way that, okay, you know, that's what we're going to do. But there needs to be an awareness that this is not a normal time. This is a time when we think about the destruction of the temple. However, 
it cannot and it should not be something that takes away from that mainstay of our lives, the simcha, the joy, the positive attitude that we have to have at all times. Difficult as it is in tough times, difficult as it is when things don't seem to be going right and difficult as it is when we're thinking about the terrible things and terrible occurrences and events of these nine days and of uh, the destruction of the Batei Migdash on Tisha B'Av, um, it is um, something that we certainly should have uppermost in our mind. In addition to that, um, <clears throat> taking long uh, baths, uh, swimming, etc., um, is uh, also problematic, and we try and refrain from that as well. And it, But there are so many other things that one should perhaps be doing during this period of time. And for instance, let's think about all the things perhaps that Aaron HaKohen stood for. Not only should we be thinking about his peace efforts and the fact that he loved everybody and therefore obviously, yes, that is an area that we need to work on during this time, ending faribles, machlokas and arguments perhaps that we may have or that may have been lingering. It's a good time to put pay to those. But in addition to that, perhaps to think about the fact that Arun Kohen was our link with the Almighty, in a way, as the Kohen Gadol. And perhaps that is an area that we too should be working on at this awesome time, working on our tefillot, on our prayers, on our connection points, on the fact that we need to, at this time, not feel more distanced, but closer to the Almighty. It was a time when, albeit that the temple was destroyed and Difficulties confronted our people, but there is no time like this time, then uh, no time like this time for the fact that God put us in his embrace. He embraces us and he lifts up, up, uh, us up and he carries us uh, through the difficulties. And therefore, we need to be more committed and more connected and closer to God. And so it's a good opportunity and a good time to be working not only on our interpersonal relationships and upliftments but and, 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 and more love, but it is also a time where we show more love for God. God certainly needs to uh, reciprocate as he does to show us that love, um, but it's there and we need to ourselves make that effort in terms of our prayers, in terms of our davening, in terms of uh, being involved in our communities, in our shuls and so on, um, of paramount importance and perhaps in deference to and in remembrance of Aaron Akayim, Aaron the high priest, who represented that as well. If we think about Aaron, the Kohen, Aaron, the high priest, and his passing today, a day on which the day of a person's yorzai, the day of a person's passing, the day on which um, from year to year, their particular influence in this world is uh, magnified. It is bigger. It is stronger. It is more connectable. It is something that is there for us. It's in the offering right now for us to connect with not only Aaron's representation of love and Avat Israel, but his connection with God. And then perhaps also to think about the fact that he was – other than or next to Moshe, he represented Torah to the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, receiving the Torah, imparted it first and foremost to his brother, to Aaron. And therefore, in the chain of distribution, in the chain of command, in the chain of um, bringing Torah into this world, what a wonderful opportunity now to spend a little bit more time in Torah learning. It is, of course, 
um, what the destruction of the Batei Migdash represent. The fact that it took away the mainstays of Jewish life, our communal um, ability, our interpersonal relationships, our relationship with God Almighty and our relationship with our Torah. Yes, part of the destruction of the Batei Migdash of the temples was to try and thwart, to stamp out, to get rid of uh, Torah and Torah learning and Torah preaching and Torah practice. This all is <coughs> what we should be focusing on and trying to do during this period of time. Our sages, many of them more modern, have um, told us that at this time it is appropriate to be learning all the things about the Beit HaMikdash, all the things about uh, the temple. Particularly the Rebbe used to speak about it so often that during this period of time it's a great opportunity not only to make Siyumim, to complete Torah tractates and to increase in our Torah learning, but particularly to focus on learning all the laws about the Beit HaMikdash, about the temple, not only the temples that were, but the temple that will be, and to think about and to know and to have a full knowledge of what it is that we're actually mourning and what it is that we're actually longing for and what it is that we actually want back, a knowledge of it all is brings it just that little bit closer, makes it that much more meaningful and includes us and incorporates us in all these things that Aaron Akoyan, that Aaron the high priest, stood for, uh, lived for, preached, practiced and left us as a great and wonderful legacy for us to um, embark on a whole new phase of our lives thinking about what he stood for, what he represented, and how we can take that all on board, and how it should be brought to bear on particularly the next nine days in our build-up to Tisha B'Av to ensure that our nine days is filled with so many good ingredients and so many good things. It is a different attitude in mourning. Yes, we're recognizing what we lost, but at the same time, we're thinking about what we're going to replace it with, and we're thinking about how we are going to ensure that the causes for the losses and the destruction are removed forever. And please, God, um, incorporated with that is our prayers for the coming of Mashiach and for the third Beit HaMikdash. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So we're talking about the nine days and we're thinking about the way to bring added Simcha into those nine days through our Torah learning, through our Tfilot, through our prayers <coughs> and through our interaction with each other through our kindness, through our love, in honor of today being the site of Aaron Akoyan, of Aaron the high priest, Aaron the brother of Moses, from all the way back when we were in the desert and he passed away in the last year, on this day, on the beginning of the month of Menachem Av. Now when we think about these days, of course they always incorporate a Shabbat, and the coming Shabbat is called Shabbat Chazon. Shabbat Chazon literally means the Shabbos of vision. Now, the vision is part of the Haftorah. Uh, we have now read two Haftorahs already um, during the three weeks, and now we come to the third one. The third one of the three weeks is a Haftorah of um, admonition, let's call it. It is a Haftorah that is read on this uh, Shabbos. Uh, that is the first chapter of the book of Yeshayahu, of Isaiah. And it begins with those words, Chazon Yeshayahu. This is the vision of Isaiah. 
these um, um, haftoras are all about the sadness, the destruction, the uh, problems, the issues that the Jewish people were told by the prophets would happen, um, uh, the calamities that would befall us, and uh, reflecting back, of course, to Tisha B'Av and so on, that is what these prophecies are really all about. But markedly, our sages have told us that this is the Shabbat of Chazon. It's a Shabbos of vision. Now, you could have a vision going back and thinking about calamities, or you can have a vision going forward, which has to be, as we said before, one of positive energy, a positive vision. And so we're told by our great Hasidic sages, uh, and particularly Reb Levi Yitzchok of Barditchev, who said that this is the Shabbos of vision on which we are shown a vision of the third Beit HaMikdash. We are introduced to the temple that is going to descend, that is going to be here when Mashiach will come. We're shown that vision. It happens every Shabbat Chazon. So yes, it happened last year. And yes, it will ha- happen the year before. And it will happen, please God, again this year, that our souls are shown that vision. Yes, it's not something that we visualize perhaps as practically as we would like to, but the soul is shown the vision, and it's dangled there as a kind of a uh, a temptation and a vision of what things are going to be like in the future, or the fact that we're not going to remain in Golis. We're not going to remain in exile. We're not going to remain in a time of sadness and darkness. We're not going to remain stuck in mourning uh, during these nine days, but rather we are going to be pushed into a beautiful, beautiful time of great light, of great hope, of great love, of uh, great simcha, of great joy. And all of these are things that we are aspiring to and that we're looking forward to and that we're shown on this Shabbat of Chazon of Vision. And so it's an opportunity for each and every one of us to visualize what the Beit HaMikdash will be like, to learn about it, to study it, to think about it, to read about it. To look at pictures of it, to understand what that temple was really all about, what it is that we're mourning, what it is that we're missing, and how on this Shabbos at a time when, yes, we can eat meat and we will drink wine on Shabbos, and for the duration of this coming Shabbat, look forward to and project ourselves forward to, as Shabbat is called, Me'ain Olam Haba, it is a taste of the uh, world to come. It's a taste of the future. In the future, there will be no more sadness. There will be no more mourning. There will be only light and love and beautiful brightness that uh, we look forward to. Please, God, when Mashiach does come and we have that temple, the vision of which we will be shown on this coming Shabbat. So we look forward to a great and a wonderful Shabbos that is blessed with and is enthused with this idea of vision. People can see things, but it takes a real, real visionary to be able to visualize what can be, what should be, and where we really want to reach. And so that is what is incumbent upon us on this coming Shabbat. Be back with you to sum up right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So we've been talking about how to confront, how to face, how to um, participate in, and dare I say, how to actually enjoy in a spiritual sense. The uh, nine days is by making an attitudinal change, by looking forward, by thinking about 
what we have lost, definitely, and by mourning for the temple, definitely. But that's not where the program ends. It's about taking the messages of Arunakain and taking the messages of our sages, of looking forward to the coming of Mashiach, of making sure that we do things that will imitate and emulate what Aaron stood for, bringing ourselves closer to God, making ourselves a little bit more in tune and connected through our tefillot, through our prayers, seeing to it that we study a little bit more. It's an opportunity to learn more Torah. If you think about it, it's not a time when we're going out for public entertainment or having to spend time making um, our barbecues, our meat brides, and so on. Maybe you want to make a fish one. But we think about um, the time, extra time that we have. Use that correctly and perfectly and beautifully in Torah learning and spend some time doing for others, being involved in the lives of others and making sure that you show the love, the care, the affection and the attention that we're supposed to show to each other in our Avas Yisrael and our peacemaking efforts between ourselves and others, between others and others, wherever we possibly can. And in this way, we can turn these nine days around into being nine days of greatness, nine days of success, nine days of Morning, spelt without the U, um, perhaps there is something in that if we take ourselves out of it a little bit, if you take you out of it, and I don't mean you, I mean me, um, you can uh, have a morning, a blossoming, a flourishing, something beautiful and wonderful to look forward to. So hopefully we can turn it around and hopefully these days of morning will be turned into days of joy and gladness, as we're promised when Mashiach will come, take us out of here and the third Beit HaMikdash, the third temple, will stand proudly in its rightful place in Yerushalayim in HaKodesh, in the holy city of Jerusalem. I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead look forward to chatting to you again next week, same time, same place for another exciting episode of Judaism 101.9